I'm Paul Higgins, an ex-corporate executive turned business owner who for five years struggled to grow a cloud consulting business whilst battling a chronic disease. With the help of mentors and experts, I got the business model right, built a sales and marketing engine and developed a high-performing team that ended in a successful exit. I received a kidney transplant from a mate and now on my second life, I dedicate my time to helping other cloud consultants scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life. Detecting an accent, I'm an Aussie working globally from Melbourne, Australia. I interview successful cloud consultants sharing their scaling stories to give you inspiration and practical tips. I have dedicated experts for cloud consultants on the show to save you time and money by working with the right people. If you want to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins and welcome to the Cloud Consultants Show, episode number 466. Today's topic is specializing a Salesforce practice. And you're going to learn the benefits of specialization and there's some brilliant examples maximizing your leads from Salesforce and especially given a lot of the change recording this in 2023 with a lot of the change in Salesforce account exec teams. And the third is self-generating leads. How our guest today got 2 million minutes watched on their YouTube channel and how you can uh, start your journey. And if it's your first time, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you like it, please subscribe. It's for Cloud Consultants, i.e. the name. And if you consult, deploy a SaaS platform, you're in the right place. And regulars, thanks for your support. Please send me an email and let me know that you watch or listen to the show at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com. It always means a lot to me when you do. And also, what topics would you like covered? please. Or you might even have a guest and that guest could be you. Uh, There'll be a summary in the show notes and also you can get more at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And before we go into the interview with Shell, our guest, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Cloud Consultants Collective, the world's only revenue focus collective for cloud consultants. It's where peers answer biz questions faster than you can get off Google or YouTube. If you don't believe me, please try it yourself. Just go to the cloudconsultantscollective.com to join today. And the other one is SendSpark. It's a brilliant personalized video platform where it allows you to build more customization into your sales process. And you can get a free six months at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash SendSpark. And all of those links will be in the show notes. So today's guest is Shell Black. He's from Texas or Dallas, Texas, and he started consulting on Salesforce in 2005. And he started his own company, shellblack.com, which he talks about the name of that, a Salesforce consulting and implementation firm in 2010. Uh, Shell holds four Salesforce certifications. He's also spoken at Dream for six times, and he's also a MVP Hall of Fame. He was recognized in 2011, which was brilliant. And Shell is also the host of Shell Black Whiteboard, a YouTube channel on how to implement Salesforce. And like he said, he's had 2 million watched minutes, but he's also had over half a million views. And uh, that link will be in the show notes. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Shell Black from shellblack.com. Great to have you here, Shell. Thanks for having me, Paul. I'm so excited to talk to you. We've got lots of brilliant topics to cover, but why don't we start with who your ideal client is and um, more importantly, you know, what problems you love to solve for them? Sure. We're a Salesforce consulting partner. So an ideal client for us either 
the client has Salesforce or they're looking to buy Salesforce. We're specialists. So ideally, they're in financial services. Uh, about 75% of our clients today are financial services. And from a market size, anything in that 50 to maybe 1,000 employees, so kind of a mid-market client is really ideal in terms of, does it make sense for us to chase? And then still in our wheelhouse where we're not so big chasing seven figure stuff that it's Accenture, Deloitte, PwC. We're kind of right below that level, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, great. And um, financial services, what's that sort of look like? Is there any yeah. patterns within financial services? Yeah, there's kind of three sub pillars that I would say wealth management and asset management, yeah. banks and credit union, mortgage and lending, insurance and benefits. And you know, what are some of the problems? Like, let's say they're an existing Salesforce client first. Now, what are some of the problems that you go in to help solve from a, an existing? One of our marketing taglines is maximize your Salesforce investment. So really, we're there to help make sure they're getting the most value in ROI out of their Salesforce spend. And that could be a wide range of services. So that could be an initial implementation of standing up Salesforce. It could be process and business efficiency, you know, handoff between groups or integrations, marketing automation, custom development. And we do a really good business with mergers and acquisitions. So taking a database and it may not be Salesforce or it could be Salesforce and they've acquired another subsidiary or something like that. And they need to bring that data in. And that's a really kind of a specialty of ours. And what would be the split between existing Salesforce clients versus new to? I would say 60-40. We've been around enough that we get a quite a good base of business. So I say 60% of our business comes from Salesforce. 40% of our business is just ongoing care and feeding of existing clients, new projects, new initiatives, and then referrals. But we still do quite a bit from a lead source and business generation as a Salesforce partner. Yeah, great. Well, we're definitely going to dive into that in a moment. And I know that you weren't always financial services, right? I'm sure yeah. like everyone at a point where you first started, you were all things to all people. And then you decided, you know, for the reason you're about to tell us, why you double down on financial services. So you know, what was that reason? Yeah. So we started the company or I started the company back in 2010. Salesforce was a much simpler product. So Salesforce has been around since 1999. So today they're 24 years old. But you know, take it up to 2010, it was still the kind of the core, right? Sales cloud, service cloud, communities, now experience cloud. But they hadn't done such the the buying spree of products. And in those, I guess, 2010 to 2020, Salesforce really picked up a lot of different subproducts. So I actually looked this up to make sure I had this stat right. So they did 58 acquisitions and they spent more than $60 billion. Wow. So that presents a problem as a partner, right? You just cannot be everything to everybody. So about 2014, I could kind of see the writing on the wall. I said, look, there's health cloud, there's nonprofit cloud, there's CPQ, configure price quote for manufacturing. We can't staff a company with expertise in everything and have people on the payroll not knowing if you're going to have the business. And then it just became really unrealistic. So I kind of, I think, spooked my team a little bit because I said, look, we're going to do financial services. I looked at our portfolio of clients and we had some good density in financial services. And I think that made people a little bit nervous, but it was absolutely the right call because there's this kind of compounding snowball effect. It takes some time, yes. but... You start working with the same Salesforce account executives. You start working with the same customer base. You start 
really understanding the customer's language. You start asking better questions because you know that client's industry. Your referral base grows. Your case studies start growing. And then that just leads to bigger clients and more engagements. And it really, really has paid off. It's it's really, again, like I said, today, more than 75% of our clients are in financial services. So it's uh, it, was, it was the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, to me, I think most of us as cloud consultants have three key decisions. First is, which part of the stack am I going to do? And sometimes mm-hmm. that's, which, you know, might be multiple stacks versus, like you said, within the Salesforce ecosystem as well, which ones? The second is what verticals? And the third is what business model? If you get those three things right, I think normally you're home and hose. And I think the, now I'm not like you with the, just the, you know, the sales and marketing effort, it's one of the hardest things to generate. And we're going to talk about that in, in a moment, but it's much easier if you're doing it repeatedly to the same people, as you said, I think that yep. just makes it so much easier. And I'm yet to find someone that doesn't have a good amount of cash flow that hasn't actually picked a niche. And what I've always said, and I'm sure you'd experience this, look, Salesforce is sometimes going to send you stuff that's outside of that, right? And mm-hmm. then you'll get it or someone will refer you a mate of a mate or, or whatever it is, right? Or a friend uh, for, for all of you uh, listening outside of Australia. But you're still going to take that work on. But when you market to someone and someone comes to your LinkedIn profile, they come to your page, they want to know, hey, can you solve this problem better than I can myself? Right? That's all I want to know. Right. I, and if I, I, and if you can demonstrate that, then everything else becomes easy. And I think there's some wisdom that plays into this. So you also need to know when to say no. Right. Because if it's too far outside your lane and too far outside your core competencies, you're going to ask the wrong questions. You're not going to know how to price it. You don't know the gotchas. Yeah. And you're probably not going to be successful with it. And do you want to risk a client on that? And sometimes the right answer is just that we don't do that. And then you can refer it to another partner. So that, that comes with some time and some wisdom, not not uh, being too greedy for every deal. Yeah. Well, I, I also love the fact that, you know, over the 14 years, you've built multiple lead streams, right? So you've got those from Salesforce and then you've generated your own. So let's start with Salesforce. What have you done other than pick a niche or a vertical that or a niche, depends where you are in the world, to ensure that Salesforce is sending you a healthy amount of leads? Well, you've got to market yourself to Salesforce to begin with. And I think, as we've mentioned earlier, you can do okay to a point on your own, but Salesforce spends so much money, what billions, on yes. marketing advertising, there's a point where they're going to find leads faster than you can, right? So how do you market yourself as a Salesforce partner to Salesforce? And in the early days, it was working with our clients, seeing who their account executive is, reaching out to them. So, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm in your backyard. I'm working with one of your clients. I'm going to do a great job. You know, I'm going to take care of them, but I want you to know that I'm here. And then they get some visibility. Where it starts to scale is getting into in front of teams of Salesforce. And if I was to look at pre-COVID before lockdown, one of the things I would do almost every other month would be on a plane flying out to the different Salesforce offices across the United States with my sales team and really pitching the company. So getting a lunch and learn, sometimes they'll call it a sales enablement, sponsoring their events. It's a little bit of a pay to play sometimes. And getting FaceTime with those account executives. And we would try to get in front of a Salesforce office about twice a year, right? Because the first time you go, they may be out in the field themselves meeting with clients. And unfortunately, Salesforce has high turnover on account executives. So it's 25. Yeah, especially at the moment. So they may have 25% turnover a year. So the group of 
account executives that you met with in person on your first trip won't be the same that you're going to meet with necessarily in the second trip. So you have to kind of get out there and you have to market yourself and get on the road. And I can tell you, being in these Salesforce offices, if you're not there, there's another partner because you can see the Chotskys and swag on their desk from the <laughs> other partner. So you've got to let them know what you're good at, right? And also, they need to know you can co-sell, right? That you can help them close in business. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And let's talk about that because I think all the things you've listed are great. Like, obviously, we had COVID, and you know, if you're listening to back catalog, this is in 2023 now. Is it how much of that is back? You know, that sort of in-person versus virtual. Like, what's the mix that you're doing at the moment with Salesforce? In the United States, it's definitely back. This is uh, February. So Salesforce has just got done a little bit of a layoff and made a lot of news. And one of the things that resulted from that is sales teams are supposed to be back in the office four days a week in the United States. So they are now back in the office. So that's uh, quite a change, but I think they want to have kind of the visibility. And, and I don't think that's a bad thing because I think you learn just as much from your manager as your peer in the next queue, right? You get this kind of corral of account executives and all kind of feeding off that energy. There is some benefit to that. It'll be interesting, right? Because uh, different companies are taking different strategies. It's too early to, to know, right? But, you know, I know from in my personal circumstance, my wife, she really dislikes going to the office. So if someone said to you, you've got to be there four days a week, she would probably go, well, I don't know if I want to spend two hours or an hour driving in the traffic and everything else that comes with it, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But um, yeah, look, the ultimate thing is if you're not, please, you know, start or continue to grease the wheels of Salesforce because you're right, those leads are absolutely invaluable for the payback or the payback is much greater than the effort to put in. So next, you talked about co-selling, right? Yeah. So give us some of your wisdom on what works well and maybe what doesn't when it comes to co-selling with Salesforce. Yeah. So I think we should just say co-selling is just helping Salesforce close a software deal, right? So for them, it's called the ACV, annual contract value. Yeah. And as a partner, you need to think about what your role is when you're brought in. They're bringing you in to help them close business. And so how do we do that? Technical expertise. Yeah. I guarantee you as a partner know more about the product than the Salesforce salesperson selling the product. <laughs> yes. And I think secondarily, we're there to provide confidence in the conversation. So the questions we ask instill confidence in the customer, we know what we're solving for, that we know the right questions to ask. And this is why being an industry specialist is so important that, you know, just to put them at ease that you're not a unicorn. We've seen this use case before. We have solved this problem before. Salesforce does address X, Y, and Z. And then that helps Salesforce close business. So we're there to really, you know, to make buying decisions, the software decision and the implementation decision, right? So we've got to go in there, scope it correctly, not rock the boat on price, price it appropriately. But you know, once we've done RPs, step aside, get out of the conversation and let Salesforce close their deal. If Salesforce closes their deal, we're on 95% to win, right? Unless it's a competitive situation or something like that, where there's three partners bidding on the same deal. But you know, we again, it's just kind of knowing your role, bring that technical expertise, instill confidence, Put a, you know, it's assurance that, you know, we've seen it before, we saw it before. I know some people, you know, the transfer of information can be a little tricky sometimes. You know, what between the Salesforce account execs and you as the partner, have you, how do you sort of handle that? 
in terms of like more specifically. So as in far as, you know, they might do a demonstration or they might get some specific information and then, you know, that's not always passed upon to you or the flip side is they don't fully brief you before you get into the co-sell opportunity, et cetera. Like, you know, different account execs do it better than others. What's your experience in regards to that? You can tell if you have a chance at winning a deal based on when Salesforce brings you in in the deal cycle, right? So sometimes the client will say, great, interesting proposal A, I want a proposal B and C to compare. And then if the account executive already positioned the first partner and you're just the validation bid, you missed the history of the conversation and it becomes very apparent, right? So when you're brought in the deal, the conversations are much slower or much shorter and you're not getting as much background. You know, you have a good relationship with that Salesforce team or account executive if they're bringing you in early, right? And we don't mind, right? That that background, we can be in a fly on the wall. That's fine. And it's actually a good move because if we get these questions answered by being a fly on the wall and listening to these conversations early, we're not fatiguing the client asking the same questions and they're responding. That's just the relationship you have to build with Salesforce, right? It, you have, it, you'll know if you're working with a team well, if they're bringing you in early and you're getting the whole view of the deal cycle, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's like recruitment, right? Always, you know, back in my corporate days, I'd say, well, what number am I? And the recruiter go, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what number am I? One, two, or three, right? Because you don't want to be two or three. And the exact same thing with the, the way that you've said that. So that that's great with um, CoSell. We've talked a little bit about the you know, Salesforce bringing you leads. What about your own, right? So how do you self-generate leads? Yeah, in the early days, it was a lot of SEO, a lot of blogging, my YouTube channel, public speaking. I've spoken at Dreamforce six years in a row. It was just the scrappy dog, everybody trying to build a brand and a company. And you're hitting it on all cylinders on every channel you can do, right? You have 3,500 Twitter followers, right? So it's just yeah. whatever method you can do to bring that recognition to the brand. So it's all... Some of it's personal brand building, but it all kind of cycles back to the company. Yeah. And I was going to ask that question. So let's tackle that one now. So, you know, Shell Black, it's a fantastic name. I'm assuming <laughs> there's not too many in the world that have got it right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, why did you go company or personal brand versus a company brand for uh, for your business? It was a bit by accident. So shellblack.com, the website did not start as a company. It was my personal blog where I talked about Salesforce right. and, you know, I had a day job. I was working for a financial services company, you know, doing a managing a team, project managers. And we also had Salesforce, but um, I wanted to keep my skills up in Salesforce. I've been a consultant for about seven years and was putting out content on my personal website. And what happens a lot of times is companies will reach out to you and go, Hey, I read what you did. This said about this, you know, building a sales pipeline and, managing a sales team and I'm a new VP of sales and I have this problem. Can you help me with it? And you're like, okay. And it's a side hustle. And then before you know it, it's got momentum and it just got so far along that changing the website and changing the brand just kind of never got around to it, but it was not intentional. It was kind of a, an afterthought that that would roll into a, an LLC and become a Salesforce partner. But it literally started as my own personal blog writing about Salesforce. Have you come across any downside of of having a personal brand is the company brand? That's a good question. It confuses some people. When I show up on a call, they don't, they're like, wait, <laughs> you are a Shell Like, yeah, it's actually a person. And I, I kind of joke, it works for Charles Schwab, so why not Shell Black? But <laughs> yeah. it, uh, 
it does confuse some people. It sounds company enough that people don't think it's a name of a person. So it works out in most cases, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's it's a great, it's a really strong name and therefore strong brand, right? And uh, I mean, you've done well with that. You know, for you, blogging, and we'll get into YouTube in a bit more detail at the moment, but like, is that something that came naturally to you or did you really have to work hard at creating content? You know, looking back at it now, I just wonder where I had all the energy, right? And I think I was just so excited about building a business that it just came naturally. I had way back in my early days as Salesforce consultant, I had actually taught Salesforce classes for Salesforce, the consulting company I worked for subcontracted out to Salesforce. And so that's how I got really good at Salesforce. And, you know, my shell black whiteboard series on YouTube where I explain how to get the most out of Salesforce was because I used to teach the class. You know, I've done hundreds of client engagements myself over 20 years, which is longer than I like to admit, but you get used to explaining how things work to customers as well. And, I just thought maybe there'd be something there and I wanted to find my own voice and a different channel and YouTube in the early days was a great channel and it gets kind of took off and got me a lot of accolades and recognition. It got me recognized by Salesforce itself as a Salesforce MVP, but those community contributions, I mean, I, I go to Dreamforce and people still come up to me and go, you're the whiteboard guy. So it's really pretty funny. Brilliant. And, you know, because uh, a lot of partners that I work with, and when I, you know, they first engage me, it's like, you know, I'm just stuck in delivery, right? I, I, you know, I know that I should be doing content. I know that I should be doing more strategic partnerships. I know, no, I know, I know, right? But I just can't get out of delivery, right? For you, h- how did you get the space to do the great stuff that you do around creating that personal brand and the content? H- how did you do that? You know, I used to write blogs on planes. I used to write blogs, you know, on the recumbent bike pedaling, trying to get some exercise in. And any free moment I had that I could shut down email, I was writing. And I'd have kind of a list of topics that I would curate, put aside, get back to it. Sometimes the creative muse is with you. Sometimes the creative muse is on vacation and you just have to let it go. And then, you know, the YouTube channel was just a gamble, right? I said, I'm going to just try it. I rented a studio for a day. I did like five videos in a day, just knocked them out got a good price at a kind of a day rate yeah. and uh, we gave it a shot and it took off. And so I did, I think a little over 30 of those videos. And in the early days, that was SEO and social media and everything I could do myself worked out well, but there is a tipping point that happened probably about 2015, probably about five, six years ago where we had a critical mass, but to, to really start to take off, we needed to get closer to Salesforce. And we really started leveraging that partner relationship and start working with Salesforce AEs. Cause, and, and there are exceptions. There are Salesforce partners that have built multi-million dollar businesses not working with Salesforce, but it is rare, right? So if you want to scale 5, 10, 15, 20 million, you got to hit your wagon to the mothership. I, I would think, unless you've got something exceptional that you can do because it's, they just spend so much on marketing, they're just going to outspend yeah. you. Yeah. And look, and my version of this was when I worked for Coca-Cola for 18 years, right? And it was a similar thing because, you know, the Salesforce and Coca-Cola, very similar franchise or franchisee type model. And basically, you are either with the company that you choose or the brand or you're not, right? And it's that simple. And I think if you, like we, unfortunately, here in Australia for a while, tried to fight the Coke company and, you know, it's just not worth it. Like it's David, 
David and Goliath stuff. So yeah, I think if you can leverage it and do it smartly, uh, I think and you know you proved that that's the case. And, and YouTube, right? Like you know the algorithms always changing. You know if you listen to Shell and I at the moment, and you're thinking, God, you know I know I've got to do it. That's it. I'm going to do it. Shell's inspired me to do it. Where do they start, Shell? Like what are a couple of key things that they should be focusing on right now to launch it in you know, 2023 YouTube channel? You got to think a little bit about what audience you're trying to reach. One thing I didn't realize when I launched the Shell Black Whiteboard on YouTube is, I mean, I was hoping for customers, but in reality, I got a lot of people studying for their admin exam, right? Because they were really looking for tips and tricks and the basics. I thought I was explaining, and, I, and there's a mix. We definitely had a lot of customers call because they were trying to do it on their own, stumbled onto my video and they said, okay, this guy gets it. He can explain concepts. And then they they reached out to us for an engagement. But I would say the vast majority was kind of an unexpected audience, right? Which was people trying to pass an exam, right? And they were learning Salesforce through my videos <laughs> rather than other content because they just didn't have the experience, right? Yes. And this is also pre-Trailhead, we should say that. So Trailhead is the free learning site that Salesforce had. And so this is all pre-Trailhead. So that was really on fire in those early days. So the tip is really like, who's your audience? Now, if we want to look at it again and say, I'm trying to reach a customer and not an admin, because kind of the light bulb for me is the admin typically is not the decision maker. Yes. They're an influencer. Yes. And they may think you're great, but they can't make the buying decision. So are you reached a big audience with that? And, you know, 2 million minutes watched, you know, half yeah. million views, which is yeah. not bad for a channel that's not cat videos or something like that. Right. So it's, it's yeah. great. Yeah. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily the audience that was going to buy. So just keep that. That would be my my tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and as far as, you know, like length of videos, you know, there's so much, you know, content out there just on what works, what doesn't at the moment. There's short, you know, whatever the version of shorts is. What's been your experience around how long a video should be? You know, what, what's sort of working for you at the moment? So there are the videos I put out were probably between five and 12 minutes. Yeah. And looking at analytics, it is shocking how many people on average watch the whole thing. Right. So, yeah, and I I was amazed, but the average viewing time is well over five minutes. So yeah. they're they're hanging in there and watching yeah. the content. Or they're like me, which watches everything at two and a half or two times speed. Mm. So, <laughs> could <know>. be true. <laughs> that could be happening as well, uh, which I don't think they'd pick up in the algorithm. That's brilliant. So look, you know, we've talked about you specializing, picking your niche. We've talked about uh, co-selling with Salesforce and the Salesforce partnership. We haven't really touched on, and we talked about lead generation, right, as well, but what mm -hmm. about referrals, right? Is there anything active that you do to seek more referrals? The key to referrals is do good quality work, Yeah. right? So when you need a reference of a client, and as long as they're happy and you're doing good work, they're really willing to help you. Right. They almost feel obligated because you've helped them. So good quality work, I think, is the absolute key to that. And in financial services, whether it's wealth management or banking or mortgage, they're all well connected. They all know each other. You'd be shocked how far their LinkedIn networks reach. So word will get out if you're not a good partner on that. So yeah, the social aspect is, is that is key. But again, it just comes down to being doing great work. And I won't make an assumption, but like of your revenue at the moment, how much is service based? 
Like, i.e., do you have any products yourself or is it all services at the moment? So we launched uh, some products about two years ago called Shell Black Accelerators that are on our website. And basically, they're, they're enhancements for sales cloud and financial services cloud. And they're just use cases that we saw over and over and over and over with our clients that, you know, financial service cloud or sales cloud addressed a piece of it. But we decided let's make them kind of deployable, configurable packages. And it really saves the customer time and money, right? Because we can stand up that use case faster than just doing custom development, you know, as a one-off. It's a growing part of our business. I think we need to do a better job of kind of getting the word out on that. So it's not a double-digit piece of our business at this point, but um, I'm watching it closely. I'm kind of trying to see if that's something that we want to... We, I think we have five of them now that we sell. And I'm just watching to see if we want to do continual investment and build more kind of pre-canned solutions or not. So it's only been about 18 months, two years. So I'm still kind of watching that space for products. Right, brilliant. And look, we I'm looking for someone. So if you're listening at the moment, you know, someone that does that product marketing piece really well, give a shout out to both Shell and I. All the links are going to be in the show notes so that we can, you know, help him, but also, you know, potentially help others that are listening. So the last one I want to touch before we go to the rapid fire is around the talent, right? So ha- how many people work for you at the moment? So all in between full-time and part-time, about 65 people. Great. All right. So that's, yep. a, that's a really solid size uh, team, uh, but you've got to attract those people, right? So, you know, tell us some of your your homegrown secrets around how you yeah. attract great talent. Well, I got to say that a couple of years ago when the great resignation post-COVID, I kind of felt like I failed, right? Because I don't think I was focused on culture and talent enough. And I spent a lot of time looking at why people were leaving, why were we struggling to attract talent? And there's a couple of things where you can't compete. Like if you're looking at the big players, the Accenture's, PwC's, WePros, IBM, you, you know, we don't have two, three, four, five thousand consultants. We don't have the, the scale to have the benefits for like health insurance and stuff like that. So I kind of took a step back and said, okay, where can we stand out, right? So there's probably a thousand partners like myself yeah. trying to stand out in this noise of how do I attract and retain good talent? And I spent a lot of time on this topic. And I think that, well, the goal that we set out for the company was we want to take the culture to the next level. I really felt strongly that you've got to have good work-life balance and you've got to have good culture. That's kind of the stickiness, right? Yes. To keep people there. I worked with my marketing group and an agency and, you know, for a company our size, we're spending about $40,000 a year on culture events quarterly, recognition, gifts, virtual events. We've got a, a virtual lock room that we're going to go all in and try to work together and break out of. And we've had hands-on events. We've literally had clay, like you, like modeling clay that you have mm-hmm. delivered to the house. An instructor, we're all making like pots and cups and mugs. And we're just doing this as a group, right? Trying to build culture. And we tried a bunch of stuff. And I think we've kind of got the right balance of gifts and incentives and hands-on events and virtual events. And so we have a budget set for that, that we're doing that. And then the other thing is, is to, to really see if we could get serious about our culture. And we kind of looked at our core values and said, are we living our core values? We say we are, but yeah. let's make sure that we're doing that. And I think one of the tangible things that I got last year that we had actually made some good progress is we were recognized by Dallas Business Journal for best places to work for a company of our size. And I thought that was a 
something that we could hold up and say, look, we are starting to move the needle on that. And we now do an annual end of year survey to just see, because we needed a benchmark. I needed to know, are we slipping or are yeah. we gaining ground yeah. yes. on culture? And it's interesting, the, the questions that you do for the best places to work is a good basis for questions. So we kind of use those shamelessly. And instead yeah. of reinventing the reinventing the wheel, we put in three questions just on our culture to yes. make sure we were accountable to, to living up to our core values. And that's now become our annual baseline for that. So I'm not saying that we've won the battle, but I have seen that we've made progress. We've really reduced turnover and we're getting a much better feedback. If you go to our career page, we made a series of videos with our team. We, we brought a bunch of people into Dallas and did some filming and said, tell me about your role. What do you like about your job? What's one word you would use to express the culture at Shell Black? Yeah. And it was really shocking and almost like kind of a proud papa moment to kind of hear what people would say about the company. Yes. So you can see these little vignettes now in our career page. So a job applicant can go there. And the whole point was, how do we raise the bar? And from an applicant career standpoint and culture standpoint, and give a little bit more transparency to an applicant of what our culture looks like, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. And you know, go to Shell's website, go to Shell's LinkedIn profile, and you'll see that, right? You'll see that coming through. And and as Shell said, you know, you've got to invest in it, right? Like a lot of people want, look, I want my culture improved, but then they don't go and do the investment behind it to get it. And you do need to bring in external people. I think it's very hard. Like you said, you brought in agencies, you did other things. It's very hard to do it all internal because people are like, well, this isn't you know, you're not really making an effort here, right? You're just giving a lip service. So uh, well done for what you've done in that regard. So now what we're going to do is move into the rapid fire. So you're ready for that to finish out the interview? Uh, sure. Sounds great. Right. Let's do it. So what are some daily habits that you do to help you scale your business? I have a daily habit and it's, it, it may not be what you expect, but I still look at every proposal before it goes out the door to in front of a client. And to me, it's more than just a QA step right? You know, did we ask the right questions? Did we make the right assumptions about the project? Have we articulated the value of our solution that we're bridging the client? I always think about if some CTO or CFO was looking at two proposals and they weren't on all the calls that we've had, and they're just looking at the numbers in the proposal, does it tell the story that we need to tell? Does it address the need? Does it express the value? So hopefully it can stand on its own without the narrative and the voiceover. On that. So to me, it's like you work so hard on a six figure project getting to that point. You got to make sure the proposal's good. So I always want to take a look at it and make sure that my folks have kind of covered all their bases and that that they're thorough. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. And the next one is around where you find more information. So where do you find more information to help you scale Shell Black? A couple of different channels. I am a podcast junkie. I probably listen to the popular podcasts that that most people do. Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman, How I Built This by Guy Raz. Yeah. I was a member of EO Entrepreneurs Organization for many years. Yeah. We've kind of got some rogue groups that we're I'm involved in. And then there's a group of Salesforce partners that are kind of in the cone of silence that uh, we share, you know, what's challenges we're having, what's working, what's not. And some just real good friends that I've created and curated over the decade in the Salesforce community. And I, and I'll call them up. Like if I, Hey, this is what's going on. Have you seen this? What have you done? So I'm not afraid to jump on a call or conference call and, and kind of lay out some problems and get some feedback from some of my frenemies, I guess I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And look, well, that's why 
you know, I created the Cloud Consultants Collective because I think we can all learn from each other, right? So, um, yeah, it's hard if you're always starting greenfield. I think that's a hard way to do business, right? Oh, sorry, if you always start it, yeah, you know, like, you know, don't have to always invent everything yourself. Uh, next one is around a wish. Now, what's one wish we could grant Shell Black today? I think a crystal ball on hiring. Are they going to survive and thrive or is this person going to fail? I would like that magic eight ball that I could, could shake up because we spend a lot of internal investment and time ramping up and onboarding a new consultant. It, it can take three months, right? We, we have a four-day class in Dallas where we bring them in. We just bombard them with how we work, how we run a project, and then they're going to start shadowing other consultants, learning, seeing it in action, and then hopefully they can fly solo. And the Salesforce ecosystem for talent is incredibly competitive. So Salesforce has grown 20, 25% a year. The problem is the, the marketplace of talent is not growing at the same rate. Yes. Yes. Right. So making sure you get that selection right is important. Let's say you're a six figure person and you're three months onboarding. If they don't make it, you've wasted $30,000. Yeah. Right. And that's hard. And we've tried to do some quantitative. We use a tool called Culture Index, which I learned about as part of EO. And it's a profiling tool. It's one component of the problem of what you're trying to do, but it's a good data point. I, I, I do believe in the data point. We've sent all our line level managers to the training to make sure that they can read the tea leaves as best as we can to try to get insights. And that really helps us with interview questioning, right? To dig into certain areas. It's like, again, it's not the be all end all. But it's it's a data point, right? That you can look at, and you know we at the end of the day, it's got to be a culture fit and not just a functional fit, yes. right? You got to have the right people on the bus, right? And having the wrong culture fit in there, it just creates tension in the team, right? So people selection. If I had a crystal ball on that, a magic eight ball, whatever you want to call it, to make sure that we're just one hundred percent right, it would accelerate. Us tremendously. Yeah. yeah. And I think if you know you're listening to Shell on that, I, I just ask yourself one simple question. Would you employ this person again? Right. And if the answer is no, make a move. Right. Don't sit on it. Because as small business people, one of our biggest gaps is effectively not making tough calls on our people. So uh you've Absolutely. got to do that. So the last one is, you know, you've learned now, you've been in 14 years since you've been running this business. You know, what do you know now that you wish you had have known earlier? We've touched on this some, it's specialized earlier, right? So I joke, we would get calls from Salesforce like, do you do fractional jet ownership? Do you do deep sea oil exploration? And, you know, (laughs) you just can't be everything to everybody. I mean, there's just so many business models out there. And again, in the early days, and there was just Salesforce, Yes, but at that point, and we've talked about this compounding effect. You know, the more customers in a vertical, the more referrals, the more case studies, the more industry knowledge, the better questions, the better solutions, and so on and so on and so on. Right. And it just, it actually accelerates you tremendously. Yeah. Well, look, it's been brilliant having you on. Well done for everything you've built. And you can find more about Shell in the links. But if you want to go there now in the YouTube, it's at Shell Black and also Shell black.com is the website and you're listening to episode 466 of the cloud consultants show so uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure having you on shell and uh, well done for what you've created and the lives that you're impacting positively 
Paul, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. How good was that interview with Shelley? Really gave you some brilliant points on, you know, specialization. How do you get leads both from Salesforce and not? And I know at the moment there's a high risk with Salesforce because of all the disruption that you need to self-generate leads. And uh, go check out his YouTube channel as well. Uh, he's an absolute great guy. And uh, why don't you thank him on LinkedIn, right? Take a snapshot of the uh, podcast and um, and share it with him. And also, why don't you share it with some of your peers, right? This is how we all help each other to grow. And uh, there's nothing worse than not letting your friends know about a great show like this. Check out the solo shows. And if you're scaling your cloud consulting business and want to know the blueprint, i.e. a benchmark on have you got all the right pieces of the jigsaw in place, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint and get your free copy today. Of course, there's going to be a copy or a link in the show notes as well. And please take action to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life more. Learning is just one piece of the puzzle. It is now time for action. Head to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. Get the links and put it into action. Head to your favorite podcast platform, subscribe, rate, and review the show. Suggest topics for me to cover at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com. And don't wait one more minute to gain access to content, especially for you, a cloud consultant, at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash newsletter. This could be the difference between wasting time figuring it out yourself or scaling quickly with less effort to enjoy life.